Welcome to Commuter Highlights from First Church Belfast. Here we've distilled our normal Sunday service into a call to worship, a prayer, two readings, a sermon and an organ outro for you to listen to on your way to work, out on a walk or wherever. If you feel so inclined, you can support our work by going to firstchurchbelfast.org and clicking on the donate button. We really would appreciate it. Here is this week's Commuter Highlights from First Church, Belfast. Good morning, everyone. And a very warm welcome to this, our service of worship here in First Church, Belfast. And especially a warm welcome if you're joining with us online. As I've said before, if you like what we do here in First Church and would like to contribute and support our work here, uh, you can also you can click the donate button uh, on our website www.firstchurchbelfast.org, and we would appreciate uh, any donation given uh, via that. Life rises in our midst, sometimes hard-won life. It surprises us when it blossoms forth at unexpected times and in unexpected places. It comes with powers stronger than death, life born of faithfulness, life born of courage, life born of God. Thanks be to God. We join together in prayer. This is the time to be slow, Lie low to the wall until the bitter weather passes. Try as best you can not to let the wire brush of doubt scrape from your heart all sense of yourself and your hesitant light. If you remain generous, time will come good and you will find your feet again on fresh pastures of promise where the air will be kind and blushed with beginning. God of all living, we have seen your presence in the rhythm and surprises of our years. You have accompanied us through all that is past, and so we thank you. We recognize your closeness in this day. You challenge and encourage us in each act and decision, and so we praise you. And now we look to you in the promises which stretch before us. You meet us with hope and call us to freedom to live as your new people. And so we trust you and commit ourselves again to live as passionate people in this place. And together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught when he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. According to George Carlin, the late lamented and very much politically incorrect American observational comedy genius, there are 99 things you need to know. Number one, there are more than 99 things you need to know. Number two, 
Nobody knows how many things there are to know. Number three, it's more than three. Number four, there is no way of knowing how many things you need to know. Number five, some of the things you need to know are things you already know. And number six, some of the things you need to know are things you only think you know. Number seven, some of the things you need to know are things you used to know and then forgot. And number eight, some of the things you need to know are things you only thought you forgot and actually still know. Number nine, some of the things you need to know are things you know but don't really know you know. Number 10, some of the things you need to know are things you don't yet know you need to know. Number 11, some of the things you think you need to know are things you probably don't really need to know. Number 12, some of the things you need to know are things known only by people you don't know. Number 14, some of the things you need to know are things that are unknowable. Number 15, some of the things you need to know are things that can only be imagined. And number 16, at any time, the list of things you need to know can be abruptly suspended. Now you know. Amen. Our second reading comes from John's Gospel, just with some verses from the sixth chapter. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because they said, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say this? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. So very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Amen. Jesus often talked about food. And the gospel storytellers often put words in the mouth of Jesus to have him speak about food and of eating. And today's difficult and complex story is one of those occasions of having words put into the mouth of Jesus. It also continues the lectionary sub-theme about food, or more specifically about bread. 
And it's a difficult and complex story for a couple of reasons. First, we have to know a little bit more about the Hebrew people and their stories and the stories which shaped their lives, especially the one about the food called manna in the desert to fully understand some of the references in this story. And second, aspects of this story by John often considered the odd man out in, in gospel circles contradict similar stories by Matthew and Luke about Jesus' family origins and the early traditions of where he was born, for example. So where does this leave us? Well, I don't feel particularly inclined to get into that sort of stuff this morning, so I'll only make a brief comment on this story. A visit to a village, probably not that far from his hometown, sees Jesus attempting to offer a new level of teaching, a reimagined world. And to help his audience make this transition, the storyteller John has him referring to a story from their own tradition. But problems arise, for Jesus is no literalist. His language is imaginative and poetic. Remember, he talked about mustard seeds becoming great plants and water becoming wine and loaves and fishes feeding a multitude. But the people who listen to him seem stuck in the literalist mode of understanding. They seem unable to hear the words behind the words. And if you listen to the most recent Thoughts from a Car podcast, you'll hear Dr. Andrew Cunning talking about just that. The sermon was written before I interviewed Andrew, but he talks about the theme of language and hearing what is really said. And so Jesus gets a boot in the backside for his efforts, as some decide his teaching isn't orthodox or meaningful enough, and they leave. It happens. However, let me throw in a few more comments on what I reckon is the more intriguing situation of John contradicting, or if you're feeling in a generous mood, not knowing the earlier and different story traditions around Jesus. And to do so, I'm guided by help from a retired American biblical author, Gerald Stinson. I will make these comments looking through the lens called the Gospel of Thomas, of which I've previously talked about. The Gospel of Thomas didn't make its way into our biblical canon tradition even though many scholars now reckon it is right up there in terms of date of composition with the early writings of the Q community and the Gospel of Mark, which is the earliest to be written. Discovered in 1945 in an ancient clay jar at the base of a cliff along the Nile River by an Arab peasant, the Gospel of Thomas is probably the best known of all the Nag Hammadi texts. So what is it? Well, it's actually a short collection of pithy sayings or proverbs attributed to Jesus, half of which are not found in any other gospel, but especially not in John's gospel. John's Jesus specializes in long and rambling and repetitious speeches. On the other hand, but equally importantly, the gospel of Thomas has no stories of Jesus' life especially no passion stories, no stories about the crucifixion. Well, why should any of this matter? Well, the Gospel of Thomas, along with other recent discoveries, as the uh, as, such as 
the Gospel of Mary of Magdala and the Gospel of Judas. Help us to understand the differences between the Gnostic churches and the churches tied to St. Paul. Because there was not just one early version of Christianity, but many, all with diverse beliefs and practices. But acknowledgement of such reality is only now being taken seriously. And if you want to read further about these groups, there is a very good and accessible book by Bart Ehrman called Lost Christianities that might be worth a read. Jesus, for the Gnostics, was a gifted teacher who opened up a different intuitive way of knowing, combining heart and mind. Again, listen to the podcast. Andrew talks about hearts and minds. Jesus, for the Gospel of Thomas and his community, is simply called Jesus, not Messiah or the Son of God. And this Jesus responds to very concrete questions about life. What is the world like? What are people like? What constitutes wisdom? What will happen in the future? These are questions that we all ask. Questions that are fundamental to being what is human. And for that community, salvation had nothing to do with Jesus dying for the sins of the world. Instead, salvation meant understanding Jesus, knowing what he knew, understanding his words as they sought wise, deep, mystical and intuitive insights, as Gerald Stenson says as they attempted to make their way through the mysteries and questions of life. And all of this, according to scholars, was significantly different to the theology of the man we call the Apostle Paul. In Paul's churches, God was totally other and pictured in male images and language. Jesus was Lord and Son of God. Jesus' death saved people from what became known as original sin. And in the churches that Paul founded, it was very much about Jesus the Christ, the cosmic figure of global salvation, rather than Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And that's why you find out no information about Jesus by reading Paul's letters, or you find very little information anyway. In Paul's eyes, Jesus is a salvific actor on a universal stage. He's a man on a mission. A mission to gather the lost, a mission to save the world from their sins, a mission to defeat evil and death through an odd-sounding legal arrangement with God. It's all about the mission and seldom about the man. His teachings, his wisdom, his relationships with other people, his relationships with the world around him don't really fall into Paul's uh, line of vision. And these churches that he founded, they had clergy and bishops and creeds, all with the goal of guarding the true faith. But in Thomas's and other Gnostic communities, there is a different idea. The idea that they share is that there is divinity in each and every one of us. In the Gnostic communities, both male and female images of God were often used. And salvation was about enlightenment, overcoming illusion. And they didn't have clergy 
Many people think that that should still be the case. But those churches didn't have clergy and they pushed the theological boundaries of their day. So what can we learn from the gospel of Thomas's sayings that can take us beyond John's complex and wordy arguments? Let me offer just a few brief suggestions. Firstly, the Thomas community centered around shared mutual learning. Again, listen to the podcast. Andrew talks about all this sort of stuff. Learning must be at the heart of any community life today. Where else in, in our society can we ask questions about the meaning of life? Certainly not on Twitter or TikTok or any of those places. Where else can we relate the teachings of Jesus and the morality of our faith to the difficult issues of our day? Issues of war or terrorism or immigration or disease or environmental crisis. Secondly, the Thomas community members were deeply committed. Commitment must also be at the heart of our community life today. It's the price we have to pay to be part of it. It means getting involved rather than staying on the edges. It's about signing petitions or reaching out to others or giving time and talent and financial support to worthy causes. And thirdly, the challenge of the Thomas community in, in general is to see and hear today the humanity of Jesus behind the many sayings and different images we have of him. The challenge is to see him pointing to something the other gospels call the kingdom of God, where there are new possibilities and a reimagined world in the here and now, a new bottom line, if you like, that demands to be considered. And to hear him inviting his committed followers to join with him, to walk beyond fear, beyond the many boundaries which always prohibit or block or deny access to a deeper humanity. And may God, however we think of God, lead us beyond the triviality of our language and understanding to a new, deeper and reimagined view of ourselves, our neighbours and the world we share together. Amen. As the sun in its shining brings glory, as the stars in the night scatter dark, as the moon gives us hope in its radiance, so may the light of God fill your heart and your mind and your life this day and forevermore. Amen.